0: Well, I guess I don't have to wait till it gets exactly 10 o'clock. We've got 30 seconds to go, and you're all quieted down so quickly. Such a, such a feeling of power to stand up here, and everyone just quiets down. Don't worry. I don't let it go to my head. Uh, let's take this opportunity to go to the Father uh, in a word of prayer. Father, we love you and praise you, and thank you, Father, for being our Lord and our God, and pray, Father, you'll be with us as we look to your word. Help us always in all things, Father, to trust in you, and it's in Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen. If you would, open your Bibles to the book of James. We're continuing to look at the book of James. Before we begin, let me mention, as I do every week before, or every time, I shouldn't say every week, but every time before I teach a class, that our goal as Christians is to become like Christ. And so our focus is to always be on Christ. And as we study scripture, we need to study the scripture and then we need to ask ourselves the question What have I learned from this passage that can enable me to become a more Christ-like individual? What does this passage teach me that I need to improve? Or what does this passage teach me that I need to eliminate from my life in order that I might be more like Christ? And as I look to the word with an obedient faith, then through the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm transformed into the likeness of Christ. And if you look at Galatians 5 and you look at the fruit of the Spirit, which is fruit that is produced within us, As we allow the Spirit to lead us, and I think that's leading us through the Word, when you look at that fruit, what is that fruit? It's simply a description of the character of Christ. And we are all to be focused on becoming like Christ. And in this text we're going to be looking at this morning... We're going to recognize that if we obey this text, that indeed we will be living the way Christ lived and also the way he then instructs us to live. Now in just a moment, we're going to look at verse 27, where we left off a few weeks ago. But before we do that, that means I realize realize I'm talking talking too fast, so I'm giving myself a mental note. Chapter Chapter 1. Uh, before we look at verse 27 have we prayed let's pray together did I pray did I lead to prayer I did I do that so often I forget did I lead a prayer I did you know one time I didn't do that someone corrected me for it so I figured sometimes I forget all right now now I'm totally embarrassed can't you all tell uh we're looking at verse 27 but before we look at verse 27 I want us to look up, first of all, and look at verse 18 to get this all within context. I'm not going to read this entire section. But look at verse 18. Of his own will he brought us forth by, this is right after he tells us that every good gift comes from God, that when we are tempted, we are not tempted by God, but our desires lead us astray. And then he says, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be the first fruits of his creation. And the entire rest of this section is dealing with the word of God and how we are to embrace the word of God, and how we are to live in harmony with the word of God. You get down to verse uh, 22, but be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own souls. Now that, if you think about it, leads you back to, directs your mind back to what? To the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount, how does he end it? The wise men built, I'm not going to sing the song, I don't sing well, but the wise men built his house, right? And he says we need to be both hearers and doers of the word. And really, if you look at the book of James, you'll recognize that the book of James, which was written by the half-brother of Jesus, is really a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. And here the emphasis is upon the word of God. The emphasis is upon doing the word of God. And if we do the word of God, then we're going to be able to be, we will be blessed by God. We'll be blessed in our doing, verse 25. But then it tells us some things that we will be doing if we are living by this word of God. And the first thing he mentions is in verse 26 that we talked about. A few weeks ago, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So first of all, if you're living by the word of God, what are you going to be doing? You're going to be bridling your tongue. After I taught this a couple months ago, I came to the conclusion, after examining myself, that I haven't been bridling my tongue the way I should. So I've made a genuine effort to bridle my tongue. Guess what? That's difficult. And if you don't believe me, read James chapter 3. James says it's difficult to bridle your tongue. But through the power of God, we can do that. And we need to recognize the need to do it. Now, the second thing then that we'll be doing, if, or the two other things we'll be doing if we indeed are living by the word of God are found in verse 27. It says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So if I'm obeying the word of God, there are two, th- two additional things I'm going to do. Well, three things. right of my tongue. The second thing is visit... The widows and orphans and their afflictions. And the third thing is keeping myself unspotted from the world. These are all things I'm going to be actively doing in my life if I'm living as the word of God would have me to live. Now, let's go back and look a little bit more carefully at verse 27. I'm going to ask someone to help me. If I get going too fast, just raise your hands, because I find myself, I'm, right now I'm getting that tendency uh, to, to, rapid, to be very, very rapid, so let me make an honest effort to slow down. Religion that is pure and undefiled. First of all, do you want your religion to be pure and undefiled? The answer, of course, would be yes. If you didn't want your religion to be pure and undefiled... Why would you fool with religion at all? You want your religion to be pure and undefiled. And I think the interesting thing here is religion that is pure and undefiled before God. And that's something I always need to keep in mind. That what I'm doing, I'm doing before God. And I'm doing it to please God. And if I'm doing it to please God, I need to make certain that I'm doing it the way God would have me to do it. If I want to please my wife, I don't just go do what I want to do. I do what she wants me to do. If I want to please God, I don't do what I want to do. I do what he directs me to do. So religion that is pure undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. If you read through the Old Testament particularly, what is one emphasis that you will find with regard to God? It states this about God over and over again. That he cares about whom? The widows and the orphans. He cares about the sojourners. And so if God has that concern and we are to imitate God, then we also equally are to have that concern. You can look, for example, to Deuteronomy 10, 17 through 19, to Deuteronomy 14, 28 through 28. Uh, 28 through 29. 28 through 28 would be kind of tough. But 28 through 29, you can discover this attitude of, of being concerned about the widows and the orphans. Also Psalm 146, uh, verse 9. But as we, as we look at this carefully, let's just really try to zero in and, and, and see what we can gain from looking at this idea. What, if you look at the word to visit... To visit. What does that communicate to you? To visit. Well, Don first, then you. To look in on and take care of. Okay, to look in on, to take care of? Yeah, the same connotation. To have them over is one thing, but to go visit them. Mm -hmm. It's a little easier for us to go to them than it would be necessary for them to come. Mm-hmm. So what we're talking about here then would be what? Active involvement in the lives of those we're trying to help. You know, I could ask a question. I could go out and probably ask a question to a group of people who didn't even have any religious affiliation at all. I could ask them, how many of you care about widows and orphans? And most of them, probably most of them would raise their hands and say, yeah, I have a concern about widows and orphans. But having concern about somebody... What good does that do to somebody if my concern doesn't result in action? And James makes this same point if you go over to chapter 2 and look at verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works and That face save him if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking daily food. And one of you says to him, go in peace and be warned and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? If I'm sympathetic towards them, but if I don't act in a way that will improve them, then what good is that? And one thing I find very encouraging about this is that I think I find myself among a group of people who know this and try to live this way. Try to live by visiting these people, by helping people who are less fortunate than yourselves. But yet I still think it's something we need to be constantly reminding ourselves of, that this is the kind of people that we are to be as followers of God. So we're to be actively involved in the lives of suffering people, hurting people. And I also think when you get to the idea of orphans and widows, I could be incorrect about this. But I think when I look at the idea of orphans and widows, James is certainly not saying that the only people I'm to care about are orphans and widows. So he's using this as a category. And I think the the idea here is that we we are to minister to anyone who is less fortunate than we are. We are to minister to their needs. Remember, I believe it's in Leviticus chapter 19. It might be in Leviticus chapter 18, so read Leviticus chapter 18 and 19 and you'll find it, I promise that, where it talks about the fact that if I'm a rich man and I have a a, a field that I'm going to harvest, then I can go out and harvest that field, but what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to leave the corners. Why would I leave the corners? There might be a lot of money in those corners. Why would I leave the corners? for the poor, so they can come and glean from there. Now, wouldn't that be a whole lot better welfare system than the kind we often have, where people are actually taking responsibility? Okay, I'm getting political, can't do that. I can do that, but I'll refrain from it. And so we're to help those who are less fortunate than we are in their affliction. And the word affliction here means pressed down and, and, and just in real bad shape is the idea here help them in their affliction sometimes I find myself when I see someone really in affliction I want to turn away because I know I might get myself into a real mess a real messy situation and I have a tendency sometimes to want to turn away I want to stay in my comfort zone You realize how destructive comfort zones are? We have to to be willing to get outside our comfort zones and go ahead and reach out to people, even though reaching out to them might get us involved in some maybe unpleasant situations, we still have a responsibility to do that. But this then to me is indicating the idea, and you can correct me if you think I'm wrong, indicating the idea that we need to be a people who are dedicated to good works, reaching out to people. And that's what we are here, I think, and that's what we need to continue to be. But I want to look at some scriptures to reinforce that. First of all, turn to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Looking at verse 18, after verse 13, after giving the Beatitudes. He says, first of all, that you are the salt of the earth, and then he says that you are the light of the world. And then in verse 16, he tells me how I can go about being the salt of the earth and life of the world, light of the world. And how do, what does he tell me then? Look look at verse 16. Well, someone read verse 16 for me very loudly. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and they give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Okay, so what's the answer to my question? How do I let my light shine? How do I be the salt of the earth? By doing what? By doing good works. By reaching out to people who are not believers or even those who are believers by reaching out to them and doing everything I can to help them in their affliction. Now, Carrie is starting to preach on First Peter. Turn over to First Peter for a moment. First Peter is written to a group of Christians who were enduring persecution, and I think at this point, primarily the persecution was not state sponsored, but rather persecution, the same kind of persecution that we might endure as a result of being followers of Christ, where people are making fun of you, where they uh, would get violent towards you maybe if they thought they could get away with it. All these kind of, you know, we, we do face persecution today, the very kind I think these people are facing here. And what Peter tells them is very powerful. First of all, the first thing you need to do, Carrie pointed this out Sunday, uh, Sunday, last Sunday night, the first thing you need to do is remember who you are. Remember who you are. Who are you? You are God's people. Therefore, no matter what they do, you are to reflect the character of God. But now listen and also remember that you belong to Christ. You've been purchased with his blood. You enter into a new covenant with the blood of Christ. The blood mentioned in verse 1 is probably to take them back to the time when the children of Israel were given the law and the blood was sprinkled on the people. And he wants them to understand that they've now entered into this new covenant. But now look with me to verses 11 and 12. First Peter chapter 2. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul. Now, this is something very powerful. A little uh, aside here. This is something that we really need to communicate to people very powerfully is that don't you see when you're continuing in your sin that what you're doing is literally destroying you? that it's making you less of what you could be. And that's something we sometimes, I don't think, mention to people, but here it's very clearly stated that if we continue in sin, we war against our very selves. We war against our souls. Keep your conduct, listen now to verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. I need then to be doing, what do I need to be doing among these people? Among people who don't believe what I believe, among people who are persecuting me, what do I need to be doing? Good deeds. Well, loving them by expressing that love with good deeds. I need to be a person who's continuing to do good deeds. Now, the last phrase here is difficult to understand. And glorify God on the day of visitation. That they will glorify God on the day of visitation. What would that mean? I'll tell you what I think it means if you want to give me some suggestions. That's fine. The idea here, I think, I didn't give you much time, did I? I'm sorry. Yes? On the day that you go to be with them, do works
1: that would glorify God. I can understand. On
0: the day that you would go to be with them to visit in their presence to do things that would glorify God so they could witness. Well, that, that, that would glorify God. I, I don't necessarily think that's the force of this verse, but that would indeed glorify God. You, uh, right point there. But here I think the idea is that they will glorify God. Okay, ask yourself the question who's going to glorify God when Jesus comes again? Well, they're the, I mean, want to glorify God. Everybody's not going to want to glorify him. Every knee will bow. But the idea is the only ones who are really going to be glorifying God when Jesus comes again are those who believe in Jesus, are they not? Those who trust in him. And so I think the idea here is that if I go out and do good deeds, that might have an, evangel- an evangelistic uh, what's the word I want? Uh, it might cause people to be, I'll just say it differently. It might co- cause people to become believers so that on the day when Jesus comes again, they'll glorify God. And I think that's the force of this verse. And so what it teaches me is, that's what, what is one evangelistic tool that I can use? Good uh, doing good deeds. Doing good deeds. Reaching out to people in love and doing things for them, even though they are my enemies. You know, like I I've told you this about this guy before. I won't tell you where I live because you might track him down. No, but I uh, might figure out who he was. But I used to live next to this guy who was a real... Uh, Light way to say this, uh, a real pain. Uh, I mean, I remember one day when my son was about 10, he was 10 or 11, he was skateboarding down the road. Down the road, you know. And this guy comes out of the house yelling and screaming at my son for skateboarding down the road. I'm sitting there thinking, listen, he's not on the sidewalk. What's your problem? But here's my point. I'm not saying this to make myself look good. I'm just trying to make a point that when I saw his garbage cans out in the middle of the road, guess what I did? I kicked him further, no, I, <laughs> I put him back in his yard, okay, that's what I did. Now, he never became a Christian, but I did good deeds even though he wasn't good to me. And that's the way that that Peter is saying that we need to be living our lives each and every day doing these good deeds. And I'm sure, like I've mentioned, I'm sure I'm among people who are doing that, we need to, to recognize what a powerful impact that can have on other people. We need to be people doing good deeds. Now, turn over to Acts chapter 10, where... Peter is visiting Cornelius. Try to say that ten times real quick. Uh, Don't anyone really do that, but anyhow. Acts chapter 10. And I told you about the idea of being like Christ. Now look at verse 38. How God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power, he went about what? He went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Now, if Jesus went about doing good, and I'm to be a follower of Jesus, then what am I supposed to go about doing? Obviously, I'm supposed to go about doing Good. Now, have you ever noticed that when Jesus went into where crowds would gather and people would constantly come to hear him and listen to him? In other words, he gained a hearing from people. So my question to you is, how did he gain that? How did he gain the opportunity to speak to people? How did he gain? how, How did it get to where people were willing to listen to him? Because he did good deeds. Because he got out among them and ministered to them. So if I want people to listen to me, then would it not be good if I followed his example and went out and done good? That was poor English. Went out and practiced good among them in order to glorify God, but also in order to cause them to see that there's a a, a different way of of living your life? And yes. Then there came a point when he said, you know, you're only here for the Well true, true. That, that that's a valid point. And, and there also is that talks about who a widow is. That's Pardon? Our- Well, okay, but the widow, we talked about this before. But what you have to understand, the widow indeed in First and First Timothy five is talking about the widow who the church is going to put on. Talking about the widow who the church is going to put on the role, not talking about widows in general. And so, but but to your point, uh, let, let me do, let, let me do address your point that, that you're making. Unless you unless you want to continue. To, uh, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead, finish. All right, I I think I have to be I, I have to have enough. I have to learn to draw the line and figure out when people are taking advantage of me and not not spend my time with people who are just trying to take advantage of me. I think as Jesus also said in the Sermon on the Mount, don't cast your pearls before swine. Uh, Matthew 7 6 well what does that mean well if someone has absolutely no interest in what I'm bringing to them and the only reason why they're accepting me at all is because of what I can give to them then I'm going to dust my feet and walk away at some point if they change their view then I'll come back what you're talking about particularly is is indicated in John 6 where after the feeding of the 5,000, a bunch of people came to hear Jesus. And Jesus said, you don't want to hear me. You just want to be fed again. And he says, you know, I'm not playing that game. But in, in, in then, w- w- they even have a term for this in the missionary world. It's called rice Christians. You ever heard of a, of a rice Christian? It's a, it's a person who comes to the assembly only to get the rice. And they don't care about anything else. So, so yeah, that, that's a very valid point. The point is that we need, to have, we, we, we need to have discernment about these things. But yet we also need to recognize going about and doing good. Now, another thing that might come to mind along this line and might take me off a little bit. If someone comes to me and asks for money because they need help. If I understand that they're just trying to use me, I might not give them the money. But I would rather err on the side of giving someone the money who didn't deserve it as to err on the side of refusing someone who really needed it, if that makes any sense, uh, if I said that correctly. Yes? Well, yeah, I'm not, yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to give a, yeah, I, I did that one time, but it was, I told you that story before, I don't know if you want to hear it again. Had this guy bow, pound on my door. By the way, if you ever, you know, build, they don't do this anymore anyhow, but if you're building a church building and you, and you're building a house for the preacher, for the preacher's benefit, don't put it right beside the church building. <laughs> don't do that. I, I had people, for, I had people pounding on my door at all hours of the night. This one old man that I knew well, he pounded on my door about 2 o'clock in the morning. He says, Ron, give me a couple bucks because I want to go, uh, go to Beaumont, rural Beaumont Hospital because I'm feeling real bad. Okay, now listen, I just got out of bed. It was 2 o'clock in the morning. I was tired. I want to go back to bed. I didn't think real clearly. I gave him the $2. 4 o'clock, he was back pounding on my door again wanting two more dollars. What do you think he did with the first $2? I have no doubt in my mind what he did with the first $2. He did, by the way, you want, did he get the second 2 No, I didn't give him the second $2. But here, the whole point is going about doing good. And, and this is the way Jesus lived his life then. And this is the way that we are to be living our lives as well. By going about doing good. And again, I think we do that, but we always need to just put in our minds that this is something we need to continue to do. Turn now with me to Galatians chapter six. Paul, of course, is very upset with the Galatians and he's after he's basically scolded them, he's now uh, giving them some farewell advice. He's talking to them about bearing one another's burdens, about correcting those who are in the wrong. But now look at verse we're gonna look at verses nine and ten. But before we do so, I want you to be honest with me you don't have to raise your hand or anything just be honest with me with regard to this question how many of you sometimes have got very weary about doing good i have gotten very very weary about doing good did i ever tell you about the michigan notre game notre dame game ever tell you that story it was saturday I had, my, I, I had my popcorn. I had my drink. I, I, I just sat down in the chair. I just, you know, that thing you pull back so the legs will go, the, the cushion will go up. So you put your, just pulled back that. There was that knock on the door. And uh, I had to go and take, get someone food and stuff like that. I was weary. <laughs> you know, I want to watch a ball game. I was weary. But, you know, and you're going to get weary doing good. But listen to what? what paul says and i think this is very powerful and let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up now first of all ask yourself the question why would paul write that why would paul write that because he recognized it was a problem that he recognized you could grow weary in well-doing. And I think this particularly, kind of, uh, maybe before you, you draw the line, so this thing that Sister Van Hooser pointed out, it really becomes difficult when you're helping people who don't seem to want to help themselves. At some point in time, you might have to draw back. But you c- it's easy to grow weary in that kind of a situation. But here he says, don't grow weary in well-doing, Uh, For in due season you will reap if you do not give up. But then he says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Do good to who? To everyone. First of all, do good to everyone. In other words, it doesn't have to be a good guy. It doesn't have to be somebody I necessarily enjoy being around, but rather do good to everyone. But particularly look at this phrase as we have opportunity. How would you understand that? As we have opportunity? Whenever the need comes up. Pardon? Whenever the need comes up. Or whenever the need comes up, would you put a little bit more force on it than that, even? And I, what I mean by that is, create the opportunity? yeah, you create the opportunity or you look for the opportunity. How many of us are actually out there looking for opportunities to do good? Oh, I would say everyone. Oh, good. I- okay, all right, I, I don't completely see life that way, but if you do, you see it better than I do, and that's fine. Uh, I, I see many times people are willing to help, people are willing to dig into their pocketbook and, and give someone 50 or $60 to go help someone, whether or not they're willing to actually go out and sit with a sick woman who's throwing up all over the place and babysit her kids, a lot of people are willing to do that. But then again, a lot of people who'd give you 20 bucks to help you out wouldn't dream of doing that. And so we might just look at the world. You, I may be looking a little bit more jaded than you do, which maybe I need to correct myself, uh, which is fine because I do need correction from time to time. But we do recognize this idea here to, okay, as she was pointing out, there are many people who seek opportunities and we particularly need to seek opportunities to do good to everyone. Particularly, I'm thinking about just, I'm thinking more about the ordinary, everyday situations of life, as I pointed out to you before, and I know I get redundant because I only have a limited number of stories and a limited number of things I can come up with in my limited life. But it's like, you know, I live, in a, I live in, a mobile, in a mobile home community, and I see this 90-year-old woman uh, outside shoveling her sidewalk. What's wrong with me? Why can't I go out there and shovel that, old, that elderly woman's? starting to say a naughty thing. Why can't I go out <laughs> and shovel that elderly woman's sidewalk for her? Why don't I think of that? You know, I, 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 I agree with you. I think most people, if they thought of it, would probably go out and do it, but why don't we think of it? Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. And that's the kind of thing I think I 'm talking about, the ordinary, everyday areas where we could have opportunity to do good. As I mentioned you before, I see some woman, and she's walking down the road with two kids telling behind her and three bags of groceries in her arm and I'm driving in a, in a real nice car and I can't stop along and say, can I give you a ride? Do, do we look out and see those kind of things and say, hey, here's a place where I can do something? And I think that's good. But then when we do good, and, and this is another problem I have. I, I, I've done this, so I'm, I, I can criticize myself. I, I, I've done this many times where people would call for food so I will take them food, I'll set the food down on their counter, and I'll leave. Well, that was dumb. Do you understand where I'm going? That was dumb because am all I concerned about is her belly? Shouldn't I, when I leave the food, try to make an opportunity to talk to her about the Lord? Instead of just saying, okay, I've done my duty, here's the food, I'm gone. Well, certainly I should. Take those opportunities to try to get into people's spiritual needs. Yes, Don? I agree with that. We can't make that a condition. Just want to make sure. Oh, no, you can't make that a condition. I would never make that a condition. But what I'm saying, though... It's an opportunity to share your faith. So, yeah, I'll... <clears throat> this is tr- a little troublesome for me. But... My Bible class has said this story before. I've already repented, so no one can have to tell me to repent of this. Remember years ago, when I was preaching in San Antonio as an associate minister, I went to visit this little boy in the hospital. And as I was visiting him, I saw this other little boy, about 12, 13 years old. And he'd been through, I don't know, four or five surgeries on his heart. I mean, the kid looked like they should have put a zipper in because it, his chest was all... And so I took an interest in him. I started visiting with him on a regular basis. I think I even went up and played checkers with him or something like that. I'm not sure if I... think I did that. And one day, he finally, he finally asked me. He said, why are you doing all this for me? And you know what I told him? Well, I'm just a good guy, and I left it at that. Now, at that moment, what did I have? A a golden, wasn't it a golden opportunity? It was a golden opportunity, not only to talk to him, but to talk to who else? His parents. But could you say, I blew it? I blew it, all right? And I can't explain why. But I did, so that's the, that's the interesting thing here. But here again, I'm, I'm not trying to, this is one time, uh, maybe I have it in the past, I'm not trying to, to uh, uh, get on people's guilt feelings, I'm just trying to say, I think we do do this, and I think we need to do it even more, and I think we need to be going about doing good, hel- helping the widows and the orphans. Uh, uh, Sister Priestley pointed out, and I, I made a stupid remark a couple months ago uh, about she didn't know any orphans, I said, well find some, well you can't always find them, but help people you can, is what I should have said. If you don't find, if there's any orphans around you, find some afflicted widows. I, you know, you can find people out there to help if you're willing to do it. Now, you might say, I'm too old to do that. You got a telephone. You can help people that way. Call them on the phone. Give them encouragement. You know, one, we don't have time to look at this passage. We're still talking about doing good because we're to care for the widows and the orphans. But read First John 3, 16 through 18 sometime. And it tells us to not love with our tongue, but love indeed and in truth. In other words, express your love in a tangible way. Because what do we learn from God? When God saw us as sinners, he just sat up in heaven and said, okay, they're sinners. No, he expressed his love. And how did he do it? In a tangible way. What was that tangible way? By sending his son to die that we might live again. So I need to figure out tangible ways to express my love. Let's go back now to James chapter 1. Ron, real yes, sir. In Acts 1, uh, Luke mentions in the first book of Theophilus that I had dealt with all that Jesus began to do things, to do and then to teach. And I think this verse right here supports everything you've been saying about, yes, we can do all the good works and such, but the goal in doing the good work, like the ladies' groceries and the little boy you you know, is yes to do, but then the doing gives us the opportunity to teach. And when you said we should be just like Jesus, Luke records... In the well, and that's exactly what, exactly what Luke is saying there is that the work Jesus came to do Now the church is to continue to do what he did and taught, we then are to do and teach. Now, as we look at James 127 again, or visit to visit the orphans and widows in their affliction. And then he gives us a third thing and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So if I'm following the will of God, I need word of God. I need to try to keep myself unspotted from the world. How easy is that? Not easy. Why is it not easy? How much are you bar- barraged by ideas and concepts that are totally at odds with the word of God? I, I heard of something the other day. I don't even know for sure what this is. Some of you uh, explain it to me at some later time. I heard this uh, where they're having problems because uh, they're hurting people at these gender reveal parties. What is a gender reveal party? I said, they're thinking... What is a gender reveal party? Someone explain that to me. But the point I'm making along that, I really know kind of what it is, but the point I'm making along this line, is, I didn't know at first, I had to think about it a while. But the point I'm making along this line is that we are being so, so barraged with an idea that gender has nothing to do with biology. Is that idea out there? How many of you think that your kids going to, high, going to junior high and high school aren't hearing this? You think that idea might be sinking in, maybe? I, I, I think, you know, gender is determined by biology, okay? I'm old-fashioned. Uh, and yes, yes, I'm sorry, I didn't see you. I just ask, do you really not know what a gender is? No, I kind of did, but I had not figured it out. Party? It is a biological review. Oh, is it a biological review? For what it is you announce if you're having a boy or if you're but having a girl. The parents don't even know what's on the party. Oh, is that what it is? Why was it yeah. wrong then? <laughs> I thought uh no, I I I don't know. I thought a gender see I could be wrong. I thought a gender report re party was something. No, I but you see the reason why I thought Okay, I appreciate that very much. Do I look embarrassed? Yes. But, but let, me tell you why, let, let me tell you now why I came to that. Uh, the reason why I came to that is because I read this woman who was going to dress her baby in nondescript clothing until the baby decided what gender it was going to be. Okay? And so somehow I connected that with gender-revealing. That's not what it is. You just reveal your gender. Okay, I'm, I'm fine with that. As long as you're fine with it. Well, I didn't know. That's why I asked you all. Yeah. You see, though, but, but here's in, here is again something that is very powerful and very that, that I really, really like. And that is that I expect the class to correct me when I'm wrong so I don't make a fool out of myself. I appreciate that subject. You, you, you know what I did one time when I was about 17 years old and I wasn't very smart? I preached a sermon on uh, the Ethiopian eunuch. I had him going home and rejoicing with his wife and children. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, can I, what can I say? What can I say? <laughs> Anyhow, I guess we'll have to save for next week getting into that being unstained by the world. I still want to know why you blow people up when you have a gender reveal party, but that's beside the point. Uh, Pardon? A gender decision party. I think that's what you were saying. No, I've never heard of that. But anyhow, the point is, and, and also I forgot when I'm talking about doing good works, I forgot about Tabitha. Don't forget Tabitha. Acts chapter 9, verses 36 through 43. But I'm sure glad you all corrected me because I had a totally wrong idea about that. And I even Googled it and they wouldn't tell me anything. So I was lost. And I don't Google very, you know how I am with technology? I want to be born back 200 years ago where I didn't have to worry about it. But anyhow, the whole point here is, and like I said, I think I'm talking to people who are doing good works. But we need to understand that this is what the Lord really desires for us to do. He desires for us to to be like him, like Jesus, and to go about then doing good works. And by the way, I just wanted to correct something real quickly here maybe save my, my face. Uh, the term eunuch in that time period could have been used by, to refer to someone who was not necessarily a eunuch, who was a treasure. But that's not what I had in mind when I said, I didn't know what the word meant. That's why I said the word. Had to, had to defend myself a little bit. But this idea of being unspotted by the world, read First John 2, verses 15 through 17, Colossians 3, uh, 1 through 11, the text that was read this morning uh, in your hearing, Second Timothy 4.10. What does second 2 Timothy 4.10, what does that talk about? You all have heard that before. Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. And I'm going to desert, desert you now, totally embarrassed. But I like the fact of being corrected, so thank you very much. Oh, hold on. Do you have a ride at home after church? Yes, I do. <laughs> My own car. Yes. Sister, yes. 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 I'm not sure I could really answer your question. I'm not sure I really heard it. How do we go about when we're giving to the needy? In Matthew 6, it tells us how okay. to, to give to the needy in a more subtle way and not be, you know, like about louder sure. or too drunk. Well I think I, I can't really just do it in a subtle way. <laughs> You know, that's about the best answer I can give you is supposed to be behind the uh, just do it in a, do it in a subtle way. Do it with, I know, I, I think what you have to understand now that Jesus is dealing with a very, very serious problem. And if I give someone 10 bucks and happen to mention to uh, Chuck here, oh yeah, they asked me for 10 bucks the other day and I gave it. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about if I make a, a personal effort to go up to Chuck and say, Hey, look what I did. I gave him 10 bucks and you did, and I'm better than you are. That's what he's trying to condemn. Thank you for your time. Thank okay. you. Why am I asking you how to do this stuff any better than I do?